Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. On today's show, we'll get to hear from Dr. Jake Hebert, physicist and research associate with the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Hebert. Secular scientists claim that the universe came into existence as a result of this cosmic explosion called the Big Bang. Now, a lot of Christians have tried to argue uh, that the Big Bang was the means God used to create the universe. But really, if you take seriously what the Bible says about this issue, that really can't be. There's just lots of problems with trying to make the Big Bang fit Scripture. But there's also some scientific issues involved here as well. And there are three main arguments that secular scientists make for the Big Bang. First, when scientists analyze a light from distant galaxies, there are clues within that light that are interpreted to mean that the universe is expanding, which seems very natural if the universe originated from an explosion. So that's one argument. Another argument is that we see this microwave radiation coming to us from all directions in space, and that's thought to be this sort of leftover radiation from a time about 400,000 years after the Big Bang. And a third argument is that the Big Bang supposedly does a good job of accounting for the relative abundances of the light chemical elements, hydrogen and helium. So what I would like to do in this session is to focus on the last of those three arguments. And what many people don't realize is that the Big Bang did not successfully predict the amounts of hydrogen and helium. Rather, it was reverse engineered to give the right answer. Uh, you see that Big Bang theorists, they have something called a theory called Big Bang nucleosynthesis, which is supposed to explain the origin of the lighter elements, the lighter chemical elements. And they believe that the heavier elements were formed in dying stars, basically. Well, this theory of Big Bang nucleosynthesis has an adjustable number or parameter that they call the baryon to photon ratio. Now, let me briefly explain what those terms mean. When you hear the word baryon, just think protons and neutrons, okay? That's just sort of a catch-all term for heavy particles. Protons and neutrons are pretty heavy, so they're classified as baryons. And atoms are called baryonic matter because nearly all the mass of an atom is composed of its protons and neutrons. And so when we talk about baryonic matter, we're not talking about anything weird or exotic, your body is made of baryonic matter. So just keep that in mind. Uh, the normal everyday matter that we experience is what you would call baryonic matter. Now, photons are discrete units of light, if you will. Photons have both wave and particle characteristics. So when we talk about a baryon to photon ratio, what that basically is saying, it's saying how many baryons are in the universe compared to how many photons. Now, the Big Bang Theory does a pretty good job of getting the amounts of hydrogen and helium right, 
provided that this particular number, this baryon to photon ratio, lies within a narrow range of values. And that narrow range of values corresponds to about 2 billion photons per baryon. So basically, if you have about 2 billion photons in the universe for every proton or neutron, you're going to more or less get the right answer with this Big Bang Theory. So because the Big Bang theorists quote-unquote know that the Big Bang model is correct, they choose the value that will give them the right answer. So this isn't really all that impressive. They just pick the number that would give them the right answer. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly impressed by that. I'm not sure why this is seen as a, a powerful argument for the Big Bang if they're just picking a number to get the right answer. But even worse, even after they pick that number, the Big Bang still doesn't do a good job of accounting for uh, what we call lithium, one particular uh, element called lithium. And so it doesn't do it even when they allow themselves to pick the right answer. It, they still have some problems there. But that's not all. Uh, the Big Bang theorists think they know approximately how many photons are in the universe, or at least how many photons are in the universe per unit volume. Uh, they think that most of the photons in the universe come from this microwave background radiation, which, as we said earlier, they interpret as an afterglow from about 400,000 years after the Big Bang. So they can estimate that number. Well, if they can estimate the number of photons and they've already picked the ratio of baryons to photons, they can calculate how many baryons are supposed to be in the universe according to the Big Bang theory. Well, here's the real question. Do they get the right answer? Well, it turns out that the predicted number of baryons, the number predicted by the Big Bang, is about twice what we can see. So at first glance, it looks like the Big Bang is off by a factor of two. It looks like the Big Bang, theoretically, would generate two times as many protons and neutrons as we actually observe. So does this mean that the Big Bang has been proven wrong in this regard? Well, not quite. And I want to come back uh, in the next segment and explain to you while there's a wild card that is protecting the Big Bang model from being shown to be wrong. Let's take a short break. Stay with us. What happened to the dinosaurs? Are monkeys and people the same? Why do we live on Earth and not some other planet? Kids have some great questions about God's creation, but do you have the answers for them? At the Institute for Creation Research, our scientists and Bible scholars have produced The Guide to Creation Basics. This book contains full-colored images and fascinating commentary from experts in biology, geology, astronomy, and biblical study. Guide to Creation Basics can help teach your children how the animals could fit on Noah's Ark, how dinosaurs and humans could live at the same time, and how God's power and wisdom can be seen in something as small as a single cell. Find basic answers to your child's biggest creation questions. Order your copy of Guide to Creation Basics from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting www.icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Hebert. We are talking about one of the main arguments for the Big Bang model, about how supposedly the Big Bang does a good job of accounting 
for the relative abundances of the light chemical elements hydrogen and helium. There's something called dark matter. There are lots of astronomers out there who think that the matter, the light-emitting matter that we can see, is only one-tenth of all the matter that exists. And some creation scientists are okay with this. My point here is not to necessarily debate whether dark matter exists or what it is. That's not really the point here. I'm personally a little bit skeptical about the notion that nine-tenths of all the matter in the universe is invisible, but there are Bible-believing creation scientists who are okay with that. Okay, so again, my point here is not to debate what dark matter is, does it really exist or not. We're going to assume for the sake of argument in this discussion that dark matter does exist. If it's true that the matter we can see is only one-tenth of all the matter that exists, what that means is you can imagine a box and all the matter in the universe that emits light, all the stars, all the hot luminous gas, all of that All of that stuff that we can see is in that box. And as you can imagine, that's a lot of matter. But if dark matter really does exist, there have to be nine other boxes. So what's in the other nine boxes? Well, no one really knows. No one's really done a census of particles to count and see how many particles of each kind there are. But the Big Bang advocates would say that the second box is also full of baryonic matter. Okay, this matter that we can see in the first box It's giving off light. It's baryonic matter. But how do they know that the second box is full of baryonic matter? I mean, they can't see it, so how do they know that? Well, they really don't. They just assume that's the case because otherwise the Big Bang would be wrong. Remember, the Big Bang is supposedly producing enough baryonic matter to fill up the first two boxes. Well, we can only see the matter in the first box, so they have to assume the matter in the second box is also baryonic, otherwise the Big Bang is wrong. But then you've got eight other boxes. So what's in the eight other boxes? Well, they insist that because the Big Bang can only generate enough baryonic matter to fill the first two boxes, they say the eight boxes have to be full of something else, some non-baryonic form of matter. Now, there are such forms of matter, things like free electrons and neutrinos, But the problem for evolutionists is that the known forms of non-baryonic matter don't seem to work too well for their evolutionary models. So if you eliminate the known forms of non-baryonic matter, what's left? Unknown forms of non-baryonic matter. That's the only thing left. I mean, you have to start invoking unknown stuff. And you may have heard secular scientists claim that the matter that we are familiar with, the matter we can see is only about 15 to 20% of the matter in the universe. Well, that's the reason. That's the reason they say that. Because otherwise, the Big Bang is wrong. And since no one really knows what dark matter is or whether it even exists, no one can tell them they're wrong. So dark matter is a kind of wild card that's sort of letting the Big Bang off the hook. Our ignorance about the nature of dark matter is helping to protect the Big Bang from being shown to be wrong. But even if dark matter does exist, let's, and let's assume that it does exist for the sake of argument, and let's assume that it's some exotic, never-before-seen form of matter, now the Big Bang can't explain it, at least not in its current form. Now, how do I know that? Well, it's simple logic. Nobody knows what it is. If you're a secular scientist and you're trying to explain how the universe came into being apart from God— You have to at least know what it's made of, right? I mean, if you don't even know what it's made of, how do you even begin to construct a theory that explains its origin? And don't forget 
secular scientists are claiming that when you look at the total energy content of the universe, 95% of it is stuff that we don't really understand. So how on earth can they say with a straight face that they can explain the origin of the universe when they don't even know what it's made out of? And even if they do find this exotic dark matter, they're going to have to modify the current version of the Big Bang in hope that their original calculations will be unaffected. So really, this particular argument for the Big Bang is not as impressive as it initially appears. And I think that if and when we ever figure out what dark matter is, it's going to be bad news for the Big Bang. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.